Today's reading is from the Gospel of Luke, uh, which is a biography of Jesus Christ, uh, written by a man named Luke, about 30 to 40 years after the events I'm about to read. It's from chapter 23. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. This is the gospel of Christ. Well, friends, do sit down. And a very good, mo- uh, very good morning to you. Let me add my welcome to Miriam's. It's lovely to see you, especially if you're a visitor with us this morning. In a moment, we believe that God is going to speak to us through this Bible. So let's ask him to do just that. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are a God who speaks. And so our prayer is that you would speak to each one of us, that we might hear your voice clearly, and that you would give us the grace to obey it. For Jesus' sake... Amen. A friend of mine was in a taxi and he was just passing the time of the day with the driver. And they passed a golf course and he said to the driver, that looks like a lovely place to play golf. And the the driver's eyes lit up. Oh, it is. The views are wonderful. It's terrific. The greens are so smooth. Then his face dropped and he said, the only thing is the people Go into the clubhouse and they are so stuck up. They look down on you as if you're rubbish. My friend shrugged his shoulders and said, what can you do? And the driver replied, well, indeed, what can you do? They're probably all Christians. They're probably all Christians. Self-important, stuck-up people. They're probably all Christians. If you're visiting this morning, it is wonderful that you're here. If you wouldn't call yourself a believer, I wonder what your impression of Christians is. I hope you've not met someone like that taxi driver who's made you think Christians are all hypocrites, self-important people looking down on others. But I don't think that impression is uncommon. But what is a Christian? That's our question this morning. And my aim is to to show us from the Bible what a Christian is. What does Jesus call a true Christian? 
Our practice here at St. Stephen's is week by week to look at a short passage from the Bible. And today we'll look at the passage that uh, was read to us, the final hours of Jesus' life as recorded by a, a man called Luke. Look again at verse 32, little number 32, where we read, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with Jesus to be executed. When they came to a place called the Skull, there they crucified Jesus, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. We see Jesus killed with two criminals. We don't know anything about them. We don't know their names. We don't know their ages. We don't even know what they've done. All we're told is they're criminals. But within a few hours, both will be dead. They will meet their maker. And only one will enter into God's paradise. The other will miss out. In many ways, they look identical. But the way they treat Jesus is starkly different. Look at verse 39. We see that one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. We don't know why. We do know, I guess, that when we feel down... It's tempting when life gets us down, isn't it, to try and drag others down with us. We slag others off. It makes us feel better. Maybe that's why he shouted. Aren't you the Christ? Aren't you God's promised king? The one who God said would come and rescue his people? Well, save yourself and us. Mocks him. Hurls insults at him. But by contrast, the other criminal doesn't join in shouting at Jesus. Rather, he puts his hand up and says, I deserve this. He rebukes the other one, doesn't he? Verse 40. Don't you fear God? And then verse 41. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. It's ironic, isn't it? That many people think Christians are those who think they're good or, or, or those who are good. Because actually the first thing we see here about a true Christian is there's someone who puts their hands up and says, I'm guilty. They own their sin. I've got three things I'd like to say this morning. This is by far the longest. So don't worry when we get to the end. The next two will be short. But the, a real Christian owns their sin. And I've deliberately used that word sin. It doesn't make much sense to people's ears today. It's a churchy word. Sin's just a, a little bit of naughtiness. But I think it's important to, to use that word because the issue isn't his crimes. The problem with us is not just the bad stuff we do. I mean, they are important. But the ultimate issue is our failure to honor God. That's what sin is. Our failure to see that God is God and let him be God in our lives, our failure to worship him. Do you see what the, the criminal doesn't say? He doesn't say, don't you respect the Roman justice system? Roman justice, well-renowned. This man's been tried and executed. He doesn't say, don't you respect the Roman justice system? He doesn't say, don't you fear the soldiers who've just crucified you, prowling around at the foot of the cross? No, he says... Don't you fear God? Don't you fear God? Because ultimately it's what God thinks that matters. And the Bible is unashamed to say that one day every one of us will die 
and stand before our maker. For some of us, like that criminal, it could be in a few hours. I hope for most of us. I pray for most of us. It will be in years, decades. But the reality is every one of us will stand before our maker. The day will come and we will have to give an account of our lives. Well, knowing he's about to die, this second criminal doesn't pretend, doesn't put on a brave face, puts his hands up and says, I am guilty. But someone might say, well, fair enough. He's a criminal. I'm sure he's done lots wrong, but I don't have anything to own up to. I'm basically a good person. A friend of mine would go every Friday to a bus stop in London and he would go up to people and he'd say, I'm a Christian. Do, do you mind if I ask you a question? Lots of people would turn around and ignore him, say no. But occasionally people would say, yes, okay, ask me a question. And he'd say, well, I want to ask you this. If you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven? It's a great question, isn't it? wonder how you'd answer. If you were to die tonight, would God let you into heaven? Well, many people said yes, because I'm a good person. And so my friend would push them, well, what do you mean by good? And almost invariably, people would draw the line behind them. They'd say, I'm not a saint like Mother Teresa, but, but I'm, I'm, I'm a good person. The, the bad people are just behind me. So, uh, yeah, I get a bit cross, but I'm not like my neighbor over there. Yeah, I, I do drink too much, but I'm a happy drunk. I do get cross with my kids, but I would never hit them. I do speed, but never in front of schools. Just behind me, just behind me. They're the bad guys. And we laugh, don't we? But I think the reason we laugh is because we all do the same thing, don't we? I read about a guy who was a serial uh, thief, broke into loads of old people's homes. And there was a big outcry recently because, uh, well, I won't go into the details. There was a big outcry. And one of his family said, I don't see what the problem is. I mean, he's just a thief. He's not a rapist or a murderer. Just a good guy, like the rest of us. In fact, he breaks into old people's homes and steals their money. He's a good guy. Well, we all do that, don't we, in our own ways. But what we don't do is ask, what does God say? We don't ask, what does God say is good? What is God's standard to enter into his heaven? And really, that's a symptom of a bigger problem that we don't actually think or ask what God wants. We think we get to decide the rules of life. And that, it is that attitude that is the problem. That is sin. That first criminal mocks Jesus. He's about to meet his maker, but he doesn't care about God's king. But the reality is, nor do we. We should honor God. We should thank him for this wonderful place. He's made us a great world. He gives us our health, our life, our breath. He gives us the ability to make money and to enjoy this world. And he does it delightfully. He's not a stingy God. He's not an ogre in the sky. He loves us to enjoy this world. But he wants us to respond with thanks. He wants us to love him. And love each other. But we don't, do we? So often, the person we love most is ourselves. We live as if we were the kings of God's world. 
Incidentally, that's why bad things happen, isn't it? When I, with my agenda, say, I'll have my way, and you, with your agenda, say, I will have my way. Well, then we clash. And when I do it, and you do it, and all of us do it, then it's a recipe for disaster. And scale that up to a city or a, or a nation, and no wonder conflict and war flows. But the root is the refusal to let God be God. Someone will tell me afterwards. I'm not sure whether I saw this on The Crown or whether I saw it somewhere else. It doesn't really matter. But I remember watching something of a group of celebrities. And they were invited to Buckingham Palace. And they had a, a party with the Queen. And some of them slipped off. And they managed to wangle a tour of Buckingham Palace. And um, they came into a throne room. And there before them was Queen Elizabeth's throne. And, of course, only the Queen can sit on that throne But they brazenly went up to it. They sat down. They started larking about, pretending as if they were Her Majesty. Now, I am not a royalist by any means. I might get into trouble for saying that. I'm not a royalist. But I remember seeing those people mocking the Queen. And something in me made me feel very angry. It was disrespectful. In the Queen's home, invited by the Queen, and they mock her. Set themselves up as if they were in charge. I was very cross. But I'm not cross when every day I see myself do the same thing in God's world, acting as if I am in charge, as if I get to make the rules. Friends, it's possible to do this in many ways. For some, we might be vocal atheists. Richard Dawkins is coming, is it next week, to to New Zealand? There is no God. And if there is a God, he's a vicious, cruel thing. Very hostile. For others, uh, perhaps we're just the bad guy. We show that we don't have any respect for God because of the way we treat others, treat the people he made. But I guess for most of us, we actually do it very politely, very respectfully. We're self-reliant. We think we can get by on our own. And so we don't give a thought to God, just minding our own business, ignoring God. I've been married 10 years now. So in my 10 years, I've had at least two arguments with my wife. And um, I remember one of them, and I was very vocally angry. Got cross, I shouted, I banged the table. And it was very obvious that I was cross. But the second time I argued, I only had two arguments. The second time I argued, I just ignored my wife, Charlie, very politely, just carried on on my computer. She was in the background. And I just ignored her. She's talking to me. Darling, I'm just doing my thing. And I didn't seem cross, but I seemed very polite and happy. But in my heart, I was seething. And we know that, don't we? It's possible to to ignore someone in the room. And it doesn't look unloving, but it is. And we know that. And we're quiet and polite to annoy the person. Well, in the same way, we might be railing against God. Or we might just very politely be getting on, minding our own business, but in our hearts, we've cut him dead. Doesn't matter how we do it, we've rebelled against God. Imagine if the guards came and saw those people in the throne room, lounging about on the queen's chair. They'd be furious, they'd throw them out of the palace. Well, in the same way, if we behave like that before a holy God, he will be angry. And the true Christian, 
far from being a pious fraud, puts her hands up and says, I have lived like that in God's world. I am guilty. I have rebelled against God. Well, I've, I've labored the point. I know I've labored the point. Because it's so hard for us to get. But you see, the first thing we need to see is a true Christian owns their sin. But the second thing, much more briefly, is this. The true Christian recognizes that Jesus is king. Do you see what this second criminal does? He calls out, verse 42, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Andrew, when he read this, said this is one of the biographies of Jesus in the Bible. There are four of them. And in one of the other biographies, we're told that both criminals mocked Jesus. That's a bit strange. Some people say, oh, it's a contradiction. Can't trust the Bible. I think actually what happened is he started off mocking Jesus. And then as he saw him hang there on the cross, something changed in that criminal's heart. He saw and recognized that Jesus was king. That's a very odd thing to recognize, isn't it? You see a man dying on a cross and you think he must be God's king. Couldn't look less like a king. In fact, that's why people mock him. He's got that notice over his head mocking him. This is the king of the Jews. That's why the soldiers and the rulers mock him too. And yet this second criminal says, no, no, no. This is the king. I wonder what he saw. Maybe he saw Jesus loving self-control. Don't know about you, but if I'm taunted, maybe in your car and somebody cuts you up deliberately, I want to get my revenge. I want to make myself known. And if I was on the cross with all the power of heaven, if I had the power to raise the dead, the power to calm storms, as the Bible says Jesus had, and people taunted me, prove that you're the king, I'd be down in a minute. They'd they'd soon know that I was the king. But you see, that isn't what Jesus does. Look at verse 34. Jesus not only restrains himself, he says, Father, forgive them. He loves them. Just think of that. Father, forgive the man there who hammered the nails through my hand. Father, forgive those religious rulers who bartered away my life. They didn't know what they were doing. And he sees a kind of love that can only be divine, the love of God's king. Well, maybe it's the love he sees. Maybe it's the innocence. He's quite clear, isn't he? Verse 41, we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, Jesus, has done nothing wrong. He's innocent. And the Old Testament promise, God promised in in the history of the Bible, that an innocent person would come a person who only ever obeyed God's commands, who always honored God and loved him. And that person would suffer and die so that the guilty might go free. And suddenly before his eyes is the one person in all of history who could say, I am good and not be a hypocrite. And he sees that great swap, the innocent one dying in the place of the guilty cross is a striking symbol isn't it i don't know how many of you might have a cross around your necks but when you think about it it's very strange isn't it it's, it's a weapon of torture it's it's a, an instrument of execution and it's the the weapon on which the founder of our religion died It'd be a little bit like 
people whose friends were killed by ISIS wearing a machete around their necks. It's, it's abhorrent. And yet it's wonderful for the Christian because it's on the cross that the innocent King Jesus died so that the Christian might go free and have a place in paradise. Or whatever it is he sees, that second criminal sees Jesus as the innocent king and he calls out, Jesus, King Jesus, remember me a sinner when you come into your kingdom. But I wonder what he expected. Imagine the tension. He'd been mocking Jesus a few moments before. He's a a guilty criminal, done something so bad that he deserves to die. What does he expect Jesus to say? No, not you. It's too late. You can't possibly make up for all the wrong you've done. Jesus, turn away. No. No. He looks at him with love. Verse 43, I tell you the truth. These wonderful words. I tell you the truth. Today, you, you criminal, will be with me in paradise. It's a wonderful promise. And the third thing we see this morning is the true Christian who owns their sin and says, remember me, Jesus, is promised a place in paradise. Paradise, a place of of beauty, of ecstasy, a place where everything honors God and so it works as it was created to do. There's no more pain. There's no more death. There's no more cruelty. Everyone obeys God as they were supposed to, loving him, loving each other. It's paradise. Such a contrast to the stigma and the pain that that criminal is experiencing, dying on a cross to paradise. And Jesus says, today, not after you've worked off your sins, but today, because Jesus has paid them. Well, friends, this is the promise for every one of us this morning. If we'll own our sin, if we'll see Jesus and call him God's king, we too can have a place in paradise when we die. It's open to everyone. It's an invitation for everyone. Whatever you've done, whoever you are, except one, except one group, the hypocrite, the pious fraud need not apply because you've got to own your sin. You've got to recognize you've done wrong. It's not for people who think they're good. Well, as we finish, let me say a couple of words of implication to some different groups. I guess many of us here are Christians. We, we know this wonderful truth. But do we see the implication of this? There should be no hypocritical Christian. We know we've been forgiven much. And so we should be the most humble of all people. I wonder what kind of Christian it was who spoke to that taxi driver. But they should be ashamed Because a true Christian knows Jesus has forgiven much. Then there might be others here for whom really this is all new. It's a bit baffling. You've you've heard of Jesus, but he's the king. Sin, what is that? Paradise, is that real? Friends, why not come to that Christianity Explore course in a couple of weeks? Ask any question. Find out whether this is true. It could be the best six weeks of your life. But then there might be others. You've been around St. Stephen's for a while. Or maybe you've come for the first time today, but you grew up as a Christian and you've heard this before. You know that you've done much wrong. You know that you you haven't honored God. 
You can see Jesus is the king and you know you need his forgiveness. Well, will you in the quiet of your heart call out to him, King Jesus, remember me. A few years ago, my father-in-law was diagnosed with cancer. And Charlie and I didn't live very near them. We were living in London and he was in Ireland. And during the last few weeks of his life, we, we just happened to be in Ireland. And so he was hospitalized and we were able to go every day to the hospital. He wasn't a Christian man. And so we tried to say to him, Bill, we would love to tell you about Jesus. And um, the problem was every day in hospital, he was so drugged up. He just, he didn't even know who we were. I went in one day and he was counting the, uh, the, the stitches on his blanket over and over and over. Just went on for 20 or 30 minutes counting the stitches. Had no idea who we were. Charlie and I went Monday, went Tuesday, same thing, went Wednesday, Thursday. And on Friday we thought, we're just, we're exhausted. We're going to go and have a family day off. Bill seems stable in hospital. So we set off to a country house and, um, as we were halfway on our way there, something in us thought, we'd better go back and just try again. So we drove back to the hospital. I left Charlie and our son in the car. And I went up, and for the first time in a week, he'd been absolutely, he was absolutely lucid. He, he recognized me. He said, James, how are you? And I said, Bill, I can see the end is near. Please, can we talk about heaven and hell? And he said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So we opened up this passage in Luke. And I said, Bill, do you see that you're a sinner, what the Bible calls a sinner? You haven't honored God's king. He said, I can see that. I said, do you see, you need to own that and ask Jesus for forgiveness. He said, yeah, I can see I need to do that. I said, Bill, do you see, if you do do that, you'll have a place in heaven. He said, I I can see, I want to do that. James, please help me to do that. So we prayed together. I went back to the car. Charlie came up. She called her family round. A few hours later, Bill died. He'd honoured Jesus for less than half a day, perhaps less than this thief, this criminal on the cross. And yet wonderfully, because of Jesus' grace, I trust I'll see him one day in heaven, not because he was good, but because he called out to Jesus to have mercy. And as I think of that story, I marvel at Jesus' grace. But I also tremble. It fills me with terror. Because it could have all been so different. If we'd carried on to that country house, we'd never have seen him before he died. Or if I'd got there and he'd still been under the effects of the medication, he'd never have had the chance. Well, friends, this morning, Jesus offers you this promise. You could be with me in paradise. You might need to take time to check it out. But friends, please do that. Please make sure you respond to Jesus before it's too late. Don't leave it to the last minute like Bill. Let's take a moment and then I'll pray. Heavenly Father, we marvel at your kindness that even though we live every day as if we were gods in, our, in, in your world, you would send Jesus to die on that cross, an innocent man, that we might be forgiven. And Father, we pray, open our eyes to see this truth. Pray for those who, uh, for whom this is new. Please give them time to think this through and to respond to you. But Father, we plead, there would nobody here today 
hearing of paradise, meet you unprepared. We pray, have mercy on us. For Jesus' sake. Amen.